What if I told you that you can support your blood pressure and healthy CoQ10 levels with two chews a day? The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. That's like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 supports your cardiovascular health. Visit RadioBeats.com and find out how you can get a free 30-day supply on bundles and save 15% with the promo code DEAL. Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Indeed, we are back in for another edition of the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast. Must have done something right because here we are on a second episode coming off the conclusion, some would say thankfully, I would say disappointingly, of the 2020 delayed Olympic Games uh, that were played in Tokyo in 2021. We're going to talk a lot about that and much more. I am the somewhat capable, somewhat competent host that has been enlisted to uh, at least tee up the topics for the guy from SportsMediaWatch.com, the owner, the purveyor, the guy that you read all the time is Paulson, a.k.a. John Lewis, who is back on the second edition of the show. How are things since last we talked? Again, the Olympics have concluded since last we talked. Uh, so we can't bash on that anymore. I guess we got to find something else to rail on. But anyway, how are you? I'm, uh, you know, doing uh, doing fairly well. You know, any uh, anytime you spend more than forty minutes on Twitter, it takes a little bit off your off your mood. But you know, uh, I'm doing as well as you can be. We remind everybody that's listening to us. However, you found us, subscribe to this podcast on all the podcast platforms. Obviously, John will be promoting it through SportsMediaWatch.com and social media links. You'll see those. But the easiest way to get this podcast is to subscribe. I have a feeling that may do something uh, for us on love it or leave it, which actually, by the way, I don't know about you, but I got several different responses and comments off of episode one about guacamole. I mean, we went through all this thoughtful discussion, John, on, on Olympic ratings um, and uh, the NBA coverage. And, and yet people cared as much about guacamole and you golfing in a suit and whether really? or not uh, Jason Sudeikis is a good actor, a comedic uh, actor or not, and Ted Lasso or not. So love it, love it or leave it has to at least make a, a return here in yeah, episode sure. number two later on in the outline. So um, in any event, let's begin with the Olympics. Again, things have concluded uh, in Tokyo um, as you said back on episode one, you had not been watching that much, if at all. In our household, we had, again, we were some of the few that were watching uh, on a regular basis every night and at morning and at, and at different times. So we now know it is the lowest rated Olympics ever for NBC. It is half of the primetime audience of what they had in Rio. Again, in fairness, Rio was kind of almost in real time, only an hour ahead of Eastern time. This was 12 hours ahead of Eastern time. All right, John, uh, just some uh, some quick thoughts here as we open podcast number two about the conclusion of NBC's uh, humongous coverage over the last couple of weeks, the time we're taping of the Olympics. Well, you know, look, when it comes down to it, it wasn't not 
it just was not a great two weeks for NBC, but what are we comparing it to? Because obviously this was a spectacular two weeks for NBC as of July, 2021. July and August, 2021, they're not getting anything close to that for anything else. Nobody is. Uh, it was a glorious two weeks of TV for 2021 in terms of viewership, but I mean, horrible by any other standard. And I mean, when we talk about sports TV ratings, there's so many people just invested in this topic and that's good for me. You know, one of the things people don't realize is that Sports Media Watch could be just as successful if I never talked about TV ratings at all, right? Uh, you know, and uh, I only talk about the TV ratings because for whatever bizarre reason, I'm interested in them. Uh, it's not like, oh, wow, the TV ratings, that's the big hook. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't know why I care about the ratings and I don't know why other people do. Uh, I, I, I do find it fascinating to know what the numbers are. Uh, and if we're talking realistically, I think most people in this business, not people who write about sports media or write about media generally, but people who are in the advertising role here, I think most of them care more about the fact that the Olympics have won every night and that you aren't getting 19 million viewers for anything anywhere in 2021. I think they care more about that than, oh, well, you know, London was, you know, twice as high nine years ago, or Rio was uh, almost twice as high. Having said that, you know, I think it matters. I mean, I don't know, does it matter? I, I, I think it matters that the numbers are down. I just don't know if it matters the way that people think. <clears throat> I think it says a lot about where we're heading in terms of our media consumption. I think trying to pretend that we have a country that can unify around anything is a bit you know fanciful and the olympics requires unity that we don't that we are not capable of uh anymore you know i look back and i say to myself man george bush had a 90 percent approval rating after 9 11 90 percent and i think to myself if a similar disaster happened today that approval rating, no matter who the president was, would be around 50. And all we would be hearing is people at each other's throats, right? And don't get me wrong, all the unity after 9-11, a lot of that was not actually real. There was a lot of nasty stuff going on that was going on underneath all the perceived unity. But, you know, the country of 20 years ago that was capable of delivering a 90% approval rating to a president, it's gone. We, we can't agree on anything <laughs> like that. So obviously I'm taking it into a different kind of more serious direction, but you know, we just don't, we don't have, we don't have the kind of unified culture that, you know, lends itself to, Hey, we're all going to gather around to go watch team USA or, or, or whatnot. And, 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 you know, you could say to yourself, well, we didn't have that culture in 2016 either. That's true, but it wasn't like this in 2016. Right. We all know that something happened between 2016 and now. Right. That really, really ratcheted things up in terms of the division. And we were very divided before the 2016 election. We were. This was a tremendously divided country. There is no president that has been able to avoid the division in this country. Obama wasn't able to do it. But we also know that between 2016 and now, those divisions were really, really, really exacerbated. And so I don't think it's a complete 
coincidence that the mass audience is dropping off the way that it is, especially for an event that now, now there's not just kind of that whole, well, this is an American playing for America, I'm going to support them. Now it's, well, this is an American playing for America, but what America are they playing for? And if they're not playing for my version of it, then I'm going to, I'm not just going to not root for them. I'm going to root against them, you know? So, you know, I mean, when it comes down to it, the Olympics more than any other event needs that kind of unification. And, you know, I want to be clear, it's not just politics. Our media system creates division as well. And when I say that, it's not just me saying YouTube radicalizes people. I mean, our, our, our media system silos people. You know, people, you know, whenever you have family over and uh, you have kids, I obviously don't have kids, uh, but I do have younger siblings, or not siblings, excuse me, younger relatives who will come by every now and again. Uh, and for the most part, they are watching on their tablets, right? Correct. By themselves. Now, every now and again, you can get them to watch TV too. Uh, and you can watch a movie together. But nine times out of 10, they're watching on their tablets, right? So you, the country is not unified. And then even within that, you also just have the fact that people in their own families are not watching the same things together. And the Olympics is not I mean, it's not something people watch because, oh, wow, I, I really love gymnastics. Wow, I'm super into track and field and swimming. We know that's not true. We see the ratings. We see the ratings. Well, you know, Simone Biles says incredible things outside of the Olympics all the time, and very few people are watching. Michael Phelps, I'm sure, was competing in all those swimming competitions in between Olympic years. I, I say I'm sure because I didn't watch any of them, and I have no idea right. whether he was competing in those because nobody watches in between. So the reason for watching the Olympics, there's something about it beyond the sport. And that something just doesn't exist anymore. It's gone. Uh, and uh, ultimately, uh, you know, that's a bigger problem for the Olympics and for a lot of other events, because I, told, I said this last week, the storm is, in terms of these younger viewers, that storm is coming. These younger generations, they don't have the same viewing habits that even our college kids have. People in college, and I said this last week, were born in 2000 and 2001 and 2002, and they did not have a tablet in their hands before they could form memories, right? right. Everyone thinks that when we talk about younger viewers and their changing habits, we're talking about college students. College students are way closer to us than they are to their, to their siblings in terms of media consumption. And when those younger viewers who grew up with a tablet in their hands, when they come of age and they age into these demos, uh, especially for an event like the Olympics that they clearly don't care about, how could they possibly care about it? They, they probably haven't watched the Olympics over the course of their lifetime. Uh, it's going to get really bad. So, you know, I think when all is said and done, uh, the Olympics, the, the changes in this country in terms of media consumption, the polarization, the lack of unity, the, 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 the inability for people to kind of just get behind one thing. Uh, there's a lot of events that can withstand that. And I don't think the Olympics is one of them. And I think I wouldn't be so sure that, well, one, I don't think the numbers are gonna be better in Paris. I think the numbers are gonna be worse because Paris is going to be all tape in prime time because the time difference in Paris is much worse than the one in Tokyo because they can't have live events in prime time. So Paris is going to be worse. And then 
don't be so sure LA is better even than Tokyo. Because that's seven years from now, the viewing habits. Uh, if you are 11 years old today, you're going to be 18 in 2028. And you're going to be in that 18 to 34 demo, right? You're going to be in 18 to 24 and 18 to 49. And it's, it's going to get ugly, I think, for the Olympics going forward. You gave me so much uh, there as you did uh, on, on the last go around. So I want to go at it from a couple of things. You said you care a lot about the ratings. I think a lot of people do that follow this because it's the scoreboard in terms of television. Who is watching? Uh, obviously, the networks, uh, those that uh, are, are sports leagues or entities, they judge everything on who's watching. And then it, and then it manifests itself into what can we charge in terms of advertising according to who's watching. So that brings the larger point into play too that you also referenced. Less audience means damaging for NBC with uh, with revenue. I know you have sources, you have people that you talk to. I have sources, I have colleagues, uh, a couple of them that worked uh, previously in and around NBC Sports, some of them that work for NBC stations now. They are horrified, John. It's not a nuclear secret as I like to say. Because this probably cost NBC in the neighborhood of four or five hundred million dollars in what's called givebacks, make goods, bonus spots, whatever the right term that you want to use is, where they're going to have to put sponsors like Toyota, like Visa or whomever. Uh, they're going to have to give them a make good, a, a bonus or whatever in Sunday night football. And then for the February Olympics, if they're still the corporate sponsors, which Visa will be, Toyota will be they're either getting a bonus or a make good or it's a discount. This is a big problem for what NBC has laid out financially because of that rating scoreboard. Uh, if you would, a thought on that or anything else that I had to say there. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously it's not going to be good, but, you know, I mean, ratings disasters happen all the time. I mean, I don't want to, you know, discount it. This is kind of when it gets to how much does this matter? This isn't the first time you've heard about make goods for the Olympics, right? I'm pretty sure. But Sydney, not a, fair, fair, not on this scale, not on this large scale. And then they have another event in seven months looming where, again, there's hundreds of millions of dollars of debt possibly on on what the audience is not going to be. That would be my point to that. And what do you say? Well, I would have to imagine and I don't know, but I'd have to imagine the make goods on Sydney were similar because those numbers in 2000, frankly, are probably a lot worse than th these numbers today are now. Right. Um, you know, I, you for know, the time I period, you mean, right. For the time right. period it was in, in 2000. Averaging 20 million viewers in 2000 compared to averaging, you know, whatever, 13 million in 2021, you'd take the 13 million in 2021 over the 21 million in 2000. Um, you know, so I, certainly it's bad for NBC, but this is the cost of doing business. First of all, you know, NBC had to know going in that Tokyo was going to be record low. They might not, they might have, they might not have known it was going to be this bad. But they had to know going in. I mean, if I knew, right, uh, the people who are actually running the business had to know going in, even pre-COVID, they weren't going to have a good time in this Olympics. They had to know the moment that they heard Pyeongchang in South Korea, Tokyo, then Beijing, they had to know we're going to have some rough times because of the time difference, because of, you know, uh, I, well, really, that's pretty much the main thing, the time difference. And while you were able to show live events in prime time, one thing I don't think people talk about is the effect of there being nothing but tape delayed stuff in the afternoon. You know, there's a reason we have day parts. If the day parts didn't matter, you know, the networks would just go dark from like one to five o'clock or something. You want to build an audience into prime time. 
you can't do that with a bunch of tape delayed events all the way until eight o'clock in the evening. So, you know, I, I do think the time difference makes a difference here, even though uh, the primetime show was able to include a lot of live events. Uh, and, you know, that's not overwhelmingly different than say London, but then that's the other thing too. You know, I mean, London and Vancouver, you, well, Vancouver was in our time zone, but London is kind of like almost a, a, an honorary American city in a way. Uh, in terms of the closeness of the UK and the US, and it's similar almost to Vancouver. The fact is, I think you'd take this year's audience in 2021 terms over Sydney. And so we know that NBC has had ratings disasters before in the Olympics, and they've moved on from it. They do have LA, which I think decent shot LA will be lower than now. I, I wouldn't say I would, you know, predict that, but I think that's in the realm of possibility. Of course, maybe by 2028, LA being lower than now still looks really good by comparison. The same way that I, I would argue that this Olympics did better than Sydney did in 2000. Mm -hmm. Because again, 2000, in 2000 terms, uh, you know, you were getting those numbers for a new episode of Friends. <laughs> you know, I mean, the Olympics was really, uh, you know, not necessarily doing much better than anything else on TV, which is certainly not the case this time. Well, and, uh, you know, we should point out, you said it earlier here in the podcast, again, as you hear from John Lewis, the uh, the owner, the operator, the purveyor of sportsmediawatch.com here on this second edition of the podcast, that even with what's being described as record low ratings, it's three, four, five times more than anything else in prime time. Live sports, particularly live NFL, live NBA, live Olympics, uh, live college football, regularly outdoes network programming two to one, three to one, five to one. So that's important to keep in perspective. And another argument, the advertising people, if they were sitting here with us on the podcast would say this, the advertisers understood this too. They're molded into Sunday night football. They're molded into, or they're at least enjoined into other things on NBC, Notre Dame football, the Ryder cup to be bonused in uh, for the bigger name sponsors. So uh, we'll see how that part works for, again, a, it's, it's unusual because the Tokyo Olympics were delayed. The, the Winter Olympics now are only seven months away. NBC will start hyping that, I think, John, in about 15 minutes. Yeah. Or maybe it'll be next yeah. week. They'll start hyping it that it's going to be back. All right, so a lot of Olympic talk. I know you wanted to talk a little bit about the NBA because there's some news there. Summer League is now ongoing, something they really did not have very much of because of the pandemic year last year and then uh, trying to get the 2020-2021 season underway as they did. Uh, but they also now have, have announced some things about their timeline and, uh, and therefore their TV coverage, et cetera, during this offseason that you wanted to share about here as it relates to televising the sport and, and the media component. Yeah, so uh, the news today came down that ESPN is naming uh, David Roberts, the new leader of their NBA production, including the studio. He'll oversee production for all of ESPN's regular season and playoff games, the NBA draft, countdown, the jump. Uh, and this is someone who has led production for First Take, the 6 o'clock Sports Center, Get Up, PTI Around the Horn, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, it's interesting from the standpoint of obviously there'll be changes, right? You don't, you know, these types of things, when ESPN announces someone else is coming in behind the scenes, it usually is a preview of major, major changes. I knew SC6 was going to be done once they made, I think it was Rob King who was overseeing that, and they took him off of that. 
right? So you can imagine that changes are going to happen there. I tend to believe, given the six o'clock Sports Center connection, that to me is a signal that Nagandi, who hosted the NBA draft for ABC, I think we've probably seen ABC's next studio, Nagandi as host with uh, Jalen and then Shane Agumike. You've said previously uh, that it would have to be kickstarted by someone, especially coming off the mess with Rachel Nichols, Maria Taylor, who is the host, NBC, in, uh, uh, ESPN, huge uh, involvement with the NBA as a partner. That's that's the front-facing show of their game broadcast. And you basically said this on last week's show, it was going to have to be reinvented somehow, yeah. some way, and it sounds like it. Yeah, I, I would think, you know, uh, Richard Deitch on Twitter said, and, and it's worth noting, this new person, David Roberts, is going to be reporting directly to Norby Williamson and also Jimmy Pitaro. But uh, Richard Deitch, uh, the, the reporter from The Athletic, said on his Twitter that this is basically Norby taking over the NBA. You know, he's someone who is trying to make it 1997 again through science for magic, right? But, you know, maybe that might work in this scenario. Uh, and uh, if, if he makes, uh, Dykeship said specifically that uh, a source close to him or source knowledgeable said that the ESPN pre and post game shows are going to resemble SportsCenter next year. And frankly, the current version of SportsCenter is fine. Uh, SportsCenter had gotten really bad for a while there with a lot of debate, a lot of nonsense, a lot of uh, ridiculous segments. But SportsCenter is probably the least you know, significant problem at ESPN right now. So if the pre and post game shows resemble sports center, I actually think that would be fine. Uh, at least in the short term, you're not going to beat TNT that way. You're just not, but um, you can put on a show that certainly last year, you know, and I was saying this even before all of that insanity went public with uh, Maria Taylor and Rachel Nichols last year was as bland as I can ever remember NBA countdown being, it had almost no purpose for being there. Uh, and it was just really, really, really bland. And uh, yeah. So if they can make it like Sports Center, you know, Sports Center is pretty bland too. But, uh, you know, hopefully at the very least, you know, change sometimes can be good. So at the very least, you would think it can't get any worse than it was last year. And there are two constants right now. ESPN has constantly changed the host and the personalities. We've described that. We've discussed that. And the other thing I was laughing when you were saying this, and I wanted to interject it, you did a great job, and people need to find it on the social media through Sports Media Watch and your Twitter under Paulson underscore SMW for Sports Media Watch, Paulson underscore SMW, if they haven't found it already, um, that – they, they need to see where you put a YouTube video up of ESPN, ABC studio show after host, after studio show, after analyst, after studio show, while TNT still has Ernie Johnson, Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, year after year after year. It's mind-blowing um, how many different incarnations, if you will, uh, of this have happened. Uh, so we'll see if that's the case. Hey, one real quick here. A lot of a lot of fans really kind of uh, catered to this. Not all of them. That maybe the NBA should start at Christmas time, and and it, and it becomes a bigger problem with the schedule. I totally get that with trying to play 82 games in a regular season and then a full playoff. If you're starting at Christmas time, they did that a year ago for the pandemic reasons and the shortened schedule. What about you uh, on coming down on that, on that being the start of the season as opposed to an October or early November start? Well, uh, that will never happen again. Uh, I think 
what happened this year, the NBA will never do that again. Uh, I think you're more likely to see the NBA move up its start to earlier in October and ending earlier in June than to ever go back into July and August again. You will never see another July or August NBA game again for the rest of all of our lives unless another disaster happens. The league will never do it. Uh, Everyone, I think, is scarred by the experience of the last few years. And, uh, you know, yeah, no offense to certainly uh, the Lakers or Bucks, but I mean, frankly, I honestly feel like the NBA wants to strike the last two years from the record and pretend it never happened. And I, I don't think you'll ever, ever see an, a July or August NBA game again, unless another disaster happens. What about, and some have, have theorized this, don't think it'll happen, but it, it could somewhere down the road where they shorten the regular season from 82 to 72, like what they had last year to be able to make it work. Because the 10 extra games, again, is essentially a month or six weeks of extra games that you're playing. And the argument would be your playoffs are so long, they're the most important thing. Get to them quicker in that structure. Do you ever foresee that? I mean, we never say never, right? That they could shorten it on a permanent basis and start a little later? Well, remember the NBA right before COVID happened was talking about a possible 78-game season with a midseason tournament. So we know that there's been some appetite among owners for that. And that is something that could happen. I don't think you could shorten the season enough to end it in June and start it in December, especially given, remember, last year wasn't just shortened, it was condensed. It was a condensed schedule too. So even a 72-game schedule that ends in June would still have to start in November. Uh, and, and frankly, you know, yeah, the NBA doesn't get a lot of attention before Christmas, but it didn't get a lot of attention before Christmas when LeBron went to Miami and the ratings were spectacular all year long, including in October and November, right? It didn't get a lot of attention before Christmas when Jordan was playing. So be it. You know, it's not like when the, in the Jordan era, NBC wasn't airing NBA games on Sundays in November. They waited until Christmas and then January. I don't think it's a huge crisis and, uh, I, I don't think you will ever see uh, that Christmas start. Maybe, you know, there'll always be another lockout. There'll, there'll always be another lockout someday. Right. Uh, and you, you just, you just never know what new fresh disasters await us uh, in society either. And you brought up a great point right there at the very end that you go all the way back to that first uh, San Antonio Spurs championship. Mm-hmm. It was a 50 game regular season because of the lockout and they did not start until after Christmas time to be able to fit it in. All right. And I didn't mean uh, to sidetrack you. Did you have something else there? Uh, yeah. So, you know, uh, I'm a, I've always been big on NBA scheduling uh, from a very young age. You know, uh, I used to do all my little scribbles and schedule out games before we had uh, good did, video games to did play. you ever submit to david stern though and, no. and, and and see if he would take your suggestions go ahead no i never did at that time i was too young to realize you couldn't schedule a blazers home game for noon eastern because that'd be Pacific. <laughs> so um but you know i do have some ideas uh, for christmas you know i've been thinking about this for a while uh the nba needs to put that lakers nets game that would seem to be the inevitable christmas game uh, because the NFL is taking up some airspace on Christmas, that's got to be probably 2.30, right? It's going to have to be the early afternoon game. I was wondering, and again, this kind of gets back to this might not be a good idea. The NBA has never used that noon window on Christmas for its featured game, right? And that noon window, there's no NFL at all. Now, they couldn't put Lakers nets you know, in noon, because the Lakers, that's 9 a.m., even though it's a road game, that's still kind of tough to, to ask of the L.A. fan base. 
But, you know, if not this year, the NFL will always, the NFL is going to be competing with the NBA on Christmas pretty consistently from here on. The NBA needs to consider using that noon window on Christmas for that featured game because uh, it's going to be tough. Like Lakers Nets, which I'm reasonably confident will be the featured game on Christmas. What would you, let me hit you with what would you put there as, a, as an appetizing matchup if there's something at all? Does one strike you? Because, again, it's got to be at least right. one Eastern team against maybe a Western team in the Eastern right. time zone, right? Well, you know, I was thinking, I mean, it's tough because my vision would be Lakers Nets at 2.30. I'd put Suns Bucks on the final team match at 5. Would you put the Hawks at noon? I was thinking that Hawks Knicks. The Knicks look like they might be good. They are the Knicks. Put Playoff rematch. There. Yeah. Yeah. Trey Young at the Garden or Trey Young at Philadelphia. Hawks at Knicks or Hawks at Sixers would have been my choice for that noon window. Maybe if you don't have confidence in the Hawks, it's a kind of a, a, a dark shot here. Maybe Bulls Knicks because the Bulls, they did some interesting things in free agency. The Knicks, again, they look good. They coming off the playoffs. They have Kemba Walker now. I might put Bulls Knicks in there, but Hawks Knicks would be my first choice. And then uh, Hawks Sixers would be my second. But I would put Lakers Nets at 230, Suns Bucks. And the reason I put Suns Bucks on at five, that's just straight sacrificing that to the NFL. You know, because you're not beating Packers Browns in that time slot. The NFL is going to, the NBA is going to get crushed. So you might as well go put your second lowest rated finals ever in a rematch on it op- opposite that. Uh, and uh, then at eight, I think that's an NFL network exclusive, right? Uh, the the primetime game on Christmas. So you could I go believe, with a yes. So the NBA could go with a decent matchup there without, you know, I, I would put uh, Mavs Warriors in, in Dallas, get uh, Golden State out there at Luka. And then, you know, the 1030 game never matters. Put anyone against anyone. Doesn't really, no one really cares. But by the 10:30 game, it's only the the most ardent NBA fans watching anyway. And of course, the degenerate gamblers. We have to throw that in yes. there as well. That are yeah. all that have already lost three times on Christmas Day and are looking to recover uh, at some point that night. Um, all right. So that brings us into another edition of Love It or Leave It. Okay. Uh, we did this a week ago and learned some things about golf, about guacamole, about Ted Lasso. Uh, all right. Uh, so for one of those things, uh, barstool sports, okay? Forget about uh, where your allegiance is on how they've made their empire, or made their money. They are certainly making inroads into broadcasting. Barstool sports has now signed an agreement uh, to, to broadcast a bowl game. Uh, John, the Arizona Bowl will now be broadcast between a Mid-American Conference team and a Mountain West Conference team. That is coming on New Year's Eve. So they are a broadcast partner of a college football bowl game now. You're also uh, reading, hearing, and seeing things that they're interested in getting into MLB televising games midweek. I believe there's a report at the time we're taping about that. Uh, what, what about a website being so uh, integrated? First of all, love it or leave it. Are there way too many bowl games? I, I just kind of tipped my hand. We, uh, on the bowl games, do you love the number of them? What about it? I think you could leave that as it is. Uh, you know, I, I mean, it is what it is. There's, there's a lot of bowl games. There's a lot of days in the week, too. And there's a lot but of haven't we watered them down by having so many? Oh, you yeah. know where I stand just by me loading that question to you. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, of course it's watered down. Yeah, so be it, right? You know, I mean, it is what it is. There's a lot of hours in the day. There's a lot of days in the week and there's a lot of teams in uh, FBS. So, 
you might as well make it 60, 70 bowl games. Right? You know? <laughs> John just wants Why a participation not? ribbon for any yeah, team that has sure. a pulse to get him out Why there. Not? All right. But back to the point on Barstool, elaborate on this because they may put this behind a paywall potentially right. as well to see the bowl game or a midweek MLB game that they may be televising through Barstool Sports. What about that, John, real quick? You know, it's very interesting. I It's a risk for, you know, the Arizona Bowl in terms of exposure. But, you know, I mean, if it works out, I mean, obviously there's going to be backlash. A lot of people don't like, you know, the way Barstool has done things over the years. But, you know, uh, ultimately there's backlash against everything. And when there's backlash against everything, sometimes all you need to do is just kind of lay low and it, it, it passes. And I think that's the calculation that the Arizona Bowl and baseball are both making, that ultimately a lot of people will be upset. But, you know, if ESPN had aired episode two of Barstool Van Talk and then episode three and episode four, maybe it's still on the air today, right? You know, that's the thing about backlash. It Go ask Ralph Northam about backlash. <laughs> go, go ask the governor of Virginia about backlash. Look, I mean, the fact of the matter is it fades. So uh, they're making the, uh, the, the calculation that they're making um, and it may, maybe it'll work out. It's a risk. Uh, you know, certainly beyond anything to do with Barstool, just putting your bowl game on a, on a website is uh, that's an interesting thing to do. I'll be very curious to see how that works in terms of viewership. All right. Uh, another one on the, uh, the love it or leave it. I know you're, you're ranting right now. You loathe it with, uh, with Twitter, the overreaction. And you've got another example yeah. uh, here involving a serious controversy uh, involving the Colorado Rockies and a fan at their game against the Miami Marlins. And was he uh, hurling a racial slur at a Marlins mm -hmm. player? Or now, somewhat comically, it's turned into he was yelling at the mascot. He was making yeah. fun of the mascot. But your, your bigger point is the overreaction. You are just, I mean, the overreaction of Twitter in particular, right? It's not even so much the overreaction of Twitter as it is Twitter kind of exists to raise all of our blood pressure. And, you know, when I heard this last night, I thought I heard what everyone else thought they heard. It sounded pretty unambiguous, right? And I can't blame anyone for thinking they heard what they heard. But, you know, it's not even necessarily specific to this topic as it is, you know, Twitter wants to create an instant reaction. And there is no room for, wait a second, let me, let me wait to, to see how this plays out. And I don't think it's fair to the people who have their emotions played with, right? I think there's a lot of people who went to bed last night thinking, wow, racism in this country has gone to a level. Now people are just yelling these things out at baseball games. I mean, wow, there's probably a lot of people who were really shaken by that unnecessarily as it would seem to turn out. And, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, I, I, I just don't feel like Twitter plays a particularly good role in our public square. I think it induces instant reactions uh, and uh, really encourages us to jump to conclusions. And nine times out of 10, the conclusions we jump to will be right, but okay. What about that 10th time, right? And, you know, beyond, beyond the impact on the person who would seem to have been falsely accused in this scenario, it's also the impact on the people who genuinely thought they heard that and had to, you know, kind of go to sleep feeling like they were in a, in, in a country that where that kind of stuff, I mean, we know that kind of stuff happens, but we're like, we're, you know, 
I mean, it's just it's it, it's an it's an unnecessarily unpleasant thing to, to, to have people having thing happen. And in, in terms of being social, uh, clearly that part of social media, Twitter is no longer about discourse, discussion or anything. It's so much echo chamber. It is so much just yell whatever you want to yell figuratively through a tweet or a keyboard. And uh, and that is it. Uh, again, you can see more and there's going to be more in the coming days on the controversy involving the mascot uh, for the Rockies being Dinger, and that's where the controversy is. Yeah. Dinger, as in home runs. All right, so that leads that leads me to love it or leave it. Just from this fun standpoint, uh, were you a home run hitter? Were you a Dinger guy? Did John Lewis in Little League, or I don't know how far you went along in youth baseball? I was not a home run guy. I never hit a home run. Mm-hmm. I only played about four or five years of Little League or whatever. Uh, did you love the long ball? Love it or leave it. Were you a long ball guy? I've never played baseball one time in my life. <laughs> not organized baseball, not no. little league, not you, no. not anything, no. not even t-ball. No, we would uh, occasionally during family gatherings we would play handball. I think uh, a kind of uh, kind of a variation on baseball, uh, very makeshift, and that's okay. it. I don't think I've ever held a baseball bat. Uh, in really the, yeah my entire life yeah we got to see some video at some point of you taking a swing even off a tee maybe i got oh wait maybe. you know what you know what the night the warriors went up 3-1 in the finals in 2016 uh we took uh, a couple of young relatives to the batting cages uh that's, and i don't and? i'm not sure i actually swung but so yes uh yes we also went to go play putt putt that day too so i, I did mm-hmm. play golf again and by, and by the way, just by extension of what you just said, you, if you think when you're watching Major League Baseball that you would ever have any hope of hitting a 95-mile-an-hour pitch, just go to a batting cage where it's 75 or 80 miles an hour from 60 feet, 6 inches, and realize how fast that is with movement and with curving and good luck besides just sticking the bat out over the plate and hoping that the ball might hit it. Uh, it's It can be scary while we're – while we're digressing yeah, no, for sure uh yeah that was you know those things are pretty <laughs> i yeah i didn't know though that you had never played so these are never. things that we're learning on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast with john lewis you never played little league or youth league baseball uh by the way for the coverage on espn we can blast them about everything hmm. my thing is i think it's too much they're about to show all this with the little league world series non-stop yeah. coverage it's the only one i i I, I leave it. I do not watch all of the different games. They got to fill up programming time. I understand it. There's a whole nother discussion, John, about exploitation of little kids yeah. uh, on this. Do you love the coverage of the Little League World Series or, or will you leave it and not, and not uh, watch to the extent that they're showing every game everywhere leading up to Williamsport? You know, when I was younger, I loved it. Uh, they used to air the Little League final in prime time. Brent Musburger would be uh, doing the, the play-by-play. It seemed like a really big event. Uh, as I've gotten older, you know, uh, eh, I mean, Little League, you know, uh, there's always some controversy. There's always some nonsense. Danny Almonte all the way yep. down through, you know, every, every single year, like a predominantly black team is doing well. There's always some weird thing that happens. Like I think there was a team maybe from Harlem way, way back and they were celebrating too much. And one player called a shot and it was a big controversy. And then just the other day, the Chicago team got invalidated. Like it's always like every time a black team does well in little league, there's some kind of thing where it's like, Oh, it's bad. Uh, you know? And uh, you know, I don't know. 
the Monet Davis stuff was really weird. I thought that was bizarre and it was nice, but in terms of the media coverage of just like putting a little leaguer on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Amen. By the way, the single most sexist thing the AP has ever done in terms of sports was naming Monet Davis the female athlete of the year in the year when Diana Taurasi won like a championship in the WNBA and Serena won a major and they named a little leaguer who played against little league <laughs> boys, the female athlete of the year. And there was no criticism of it. I couldn't believe it. I still can't. I, I mean, that was, that was wild. That whole thing was bizarre too. I, I'm not a little league guy. I was, I'm with you. I'm with, and I, and I'm somebody that was on the front end saying this is wrong. It will lead to corruption. It will lead to all kinds of things. You had the Filipino a team to point them out that had several 15 year olds, not 11 and 12 year olds, 15 year olds on the team playing against Almonte was like a 14 or a 15 year old throwing the equivalent of 90 mile an hour pitches at 60 feet, six inches. So, uh, and the reason for that was he wanted a major league career and those around him wanted to get him an opportunity for a major league career. Uh, for how he looked on national television. So that's a whole nother uh, discussion. Uh, all right. So good enough on love it or leave it for this week. We didn't go into any food groups though, this week on the, on the show, the NFL is coming around with preseason games, by the way. Okay. So love it or leave it one more time. Will you watch any preseason football or are you only going to pace yourself and be ready for the regular season? You know, I mean, yeah, why not? I mean, if it's on, I might tune in uh, preseason is preseason, you know, a summer league going on. Normally it doesn't go on this time of year, but summer league uh, might get my attention more than the preseason. Um, you know, um, I mean, the ratings for the Hall of Fame game were quite strong, much, much stronger than I was expecting. Hall of Fame game got about 7 million viewers, which, you know, for a Cowboys Steelers Hall of Fame game a few years ago, you could get 11, 12 million for that. But you know what? 7 million in 2021 is pretty good, especially up, up against the Olympics. I think that was... Yeah, a really impressive number. Um, you know, um, I will say uh, one thing to keep in mind, once the NBA Summer League is over, we're back on schedule. Uh, everything that would be going on would be going on, and nothing that would never be going on would be going on. Uh, and frankly, we're already there. Most people don't care about Summer League, right? But Summer League would normally be in July, and now it's in August. Once that's done, uh, come on the 17th, come August 18th, Everything in sports that will be going on, assuming no strange disasters, which you can never assume anymore. But uh, once you get to August 18th, we're back on schedule. We're back to normal for the first time since March 10th of 2020. And I think there's a lot of value in that. I think there's tremendous value in the NBA going back to October, although very short offseason for Phoenix and, and Milwaukee, obviously. There's a lot of value in the NHL going back to October and just clearing the decks, getting that Olympics done, getting all the all the 2020 stuff is over. The Euro, the Olympics, the Hall yep. of Fame. We are through all of the, every, every delayed event, but Summer League, which again, no one really cares about but me, has been, you know, done. So well, that's a good thing. And so yeah, no. that's kind of a way that we segue into, we're about done on this edition of the show. I always... Uh, value the opportunity to get to talk to you. We encourage people to read the website. One more time, we encourage you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, et cetera. And they, they can find out more by going to sportsmediawatch.com and also following your social media at Paulson underscore SMW for Sports Media Watch on Twitter to find out more 
um, about what you have to say, what you're thinking, and also promoting this podcast as well. So we've come to the end of episode two. I, I always appreciate it, John. Good stuff with this. We are on now to the NFL in preseason, the home stretch of baseball, getting back to some normalcy on the sports calendar. And you'll yeah. be writing all about it in terms of the media on sportsmediawatch.com, right? Yep. Uh, you know, going to wrap up the Olympic numbers coming up. Uh, get, uh, you know, get those numbers in. Um, they'll be very low. On to Beijing. The odd thing is, of course, next year, the World Cup is in November and December, which is a very COVID era thing, but they planned for it to be that way because they needed it to be in Qatar for some reason. So, you know, but other than that, you can't say smooth sailing. You can't say that. But for now, for now, now we're on track and we'll see if it stays that way, especially with the football season, et cetera. John, thank you. Yeah. Hey, no problem. We'll see what happens when the aliens come, like an Independence Day. How long the uh, how long the delay <laughs> is after that? Good note to end it on. Uh, he's John Lewis. I'm T.J. Reeves. Again, subscribe to this podcast. We thank you for being with us on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast, second edition. We'll talk to you again soon. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.